war against God. You don't think so? How about the last time you got so angry your mouth just started to spew for... have been looking at the Beatitudes with which Christ begins the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, there where he's giving us an insight into what it means to live in the power of the kingdom of God. Uh, that life is not same old, same old, but it has this amazing uh, kind of reformation in it. Uh, that things that the world thinks are turned upside down. It, it turns out that uh, those who sacrifice, those who hunger, those who are poor, those who are meek are actually in line for the glorious blessings of God. And so as we've looked at these Beatitudes, I hope that you have been picking up that they are expressions of um, really what the Christian life is about in the kingdom of God. This morning we come to that Beatitude that says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. All along we've been suggesting to you that the Beatitudes really don't make any sense without Jesus Christ. Beatitudes really don't even strike us as, as good ideas without Jesus Christ. Now, blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called the sons of God, but yes, they'll also be run over by the next tyrant, the next political power, the next nation to come along. Blessed are the peacemakers, but sure, but the next guy who comes along who's got enough nerve to run roughshod over you is going to take advantage of you. Fine, you'll be called a son of God, but you'll be called a chump by everybody else. See, it doesn't make any sense until you know Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the peace of God. Jesus Christ is our peace. That enmity that warfare that we have had with God himself has been put to rest in Jesus Christ. And so again, Jesus is the meaning of this beatitude. Uh, blessed are those who are peacemakers means blessed are those who are connected to the peace of God, Jesus Christ, and in whom and in their lives this power of the peace of God is working out in their lives. They're going to be called sons of God because that's what it means to be a son or to be a daughter of God. I first uh, think I encountered this verse probably in the 60s. I was a child of the 60s, the 1960s, okay? And uh, uh, I was a little bit too young quite to make it into the Vietnam War. But I remember growing up um, in a military home. Dad was in the Navy, and so we had quite a bit of, of connection to what was going on in Vietnam. In fact, uh, uh, we spent two years in Japan, and in that time, Dad was gone almost all the time on an all-purpose tender down to Subic Bay, where they repaired the ships being um, damaged uh, in the Vietnam conflict. But what I remember is that every Thursday evening, Walter Cronkite would announce the body count. 
And up over his right shoulder in the upper left-hand corner of the TV screen, there would be a list of all the enemy that had been killed, and all the Viet Cong and all the uh, Arvon that had been killed. And, and so um, uh, the, you could see how many of the enemy we had killed, and then it would list how many Americans had been killed. And what I'm here to tell you is we were winning that war. I mean, you could see it there. Walter Cronkite, the most trusted man in America, was telling us we were winning that war because there were more of them dead than there were of us. Oh, happy day. That is perhaps one of the most overriding and oppressive factors of the environment in which I grew up was a war that seemed like it would go on forever. We thought we had learned our lesson. But there has been international conflict and global conflict since the beginning. The human race, as soon as our first parents left the Garden of Eden, somebody began plotting war. Jesus tells us that you will hear of wars and you will hear about rumors of wars until he comes again. There's something about the human heart that though we're not real anxious to die on a battlefield, yet there are some who are willing to send us. And so we wind up in warfare again and again, and the history of the human race is a history of warfare. And I'm here to tell you that that's going to continue. I know about the peaceniks. I know about the peace demonstrators. I know about the March on Washington in 1968. And I can tell you that while the conflict ended, the warfare has continued. Every bit as much as a Treaty of Versailles doesn't prohibit World War II, Treaty of Locarno, Kellogg-Briand Act, who's the history major here? How many of you know what I'm talking about? One, <laughs> two, <laughs> three, but you had it written down, didn't you? These were treaties, and every one ended war. You will have war and rumors of war among the nations until Jesus comes. And when he comes, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Everyone will see Jesus, and they will recognize who he is, because at the name of Jesus, every knee on the face of the earth, over the earth, under the earth, every knee in the universe will bow, and every tongue is going to confess, this is Jesus Christ, and he is Lord. Give glory to God the Father. And as everybody is focused on Christ, Lord, King of kings, Lord of lords, then warfare ceases when the perfect king comes to rule. But until then, we have warfare. Till then, there is no peace. But there's another peace that that afflicts us as human beings, and that's the kind of, or another kind of warfare conflict, and that's the conflict that we've had this past week. As we hear about a senseless taking of life, on both ends of the explanation spectrum, the, the evil, the, 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 the perpetrator caring nothing for life, we don't know why. All we know is that someone decided that they were in a position to decide that innocent people would die. And it makes no sense. And on the other end of the spectrum, an accident, a spark, who knows what causes it. Chemical plant blows up in Texas, kills hundreds, wounds, countless. And you realize even when you're behaving yourself, Life comes to a sudden end. 
And you know, it really doesn't matter. If it's a suddenness of an accident, the, 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 the sudden event of a bomb exploding, doesn't matter if it's a death at the end of a long, prolonged illness. When death comes, we find ourselves face to face with the great enemy of life. We come to the understanding that our lives are so finite and so limited and that at a moment's notice they come to an end. And we don't have peace. We try to talk ourselves out of the agony of death. We try to um, anesthetize our minds. We try to entertain ourselves into oblivion. We try to pat each other on the back, encourage each other that Somehow things are all right, but deep down we know that death is stalking each one of us. There's a turmoil that that causes. Jesus knows all about it. Because when he came to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, the tomb was surrounded by people who had come out to grieve with his sisters. And there was weeping and wailing. And they were grieving because Lazarus was dead. And all they knew was, death is the end. And Jesus said something that changed everything. It went like this, Lazarus, come forth. They rolled away the stone and out came Lazarus. And people looked at each other and said, in the original Hebrew, wow. This this means what we thought isn't right. We thought death won. This man Jesus wins. We thought death was the victor. This man Jesus is the one who has conquered the grave. We thought that when death comes, it says that life ends, is over, doesn't mean anything. We find out that Jesus is telling us that there's something called everlasting life. There's something called the power of God to raise from the dead. And suddenly, a wave of peace like they had never known swept over the crowd in their joy because the grave is defeated in Jesus Christ. There's peace in the face of death. You find it at the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. You find it when you realize that he is alive forevermore. You find it when you realize that whatever death does to you in your heartache and your sorrow, death is defeated. And one day, Jesus says, Wayne, come forth. or Farrell, come forth, or Catherine, come forth, or Matt, or Betty, Bob. That is peacemaking. You want to be a peacemaker? Tell someone in tears that Jesus lives. You want to be a peacemaker? Tell somebody that his tomb is empty. And one day, the tombs of all those who believe in Jesus Christ will be empty as well. 
And blessed are the peacemakers who announce the victory of Christ over death. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the sons of God. They will be called the daughters of God because when they announce the victory of Christ over death, that peace comes to those who are lost in grief and sorrow. There's a conflict that comes to us when we're just plain confused and when we'd have no idea what's going on in life. You know, you, you, you're just walking along. I'm fat and happy. You're slender and, and happy. <laughs> but you're walking along fat and happy, and, and suddenly the doctor says, cancer. Just about the time you get over that, the boss says, fired. Just about the time you're over that, your, your teenage child says, drugs. Just about the time you're over that, and on, and on, and on. And life, instead of being that happy walk down the pathway, becomes a boat in the middle of the waves and the storm, and the problems of life are breaking over the gunnels the waves are breaking into the boat and it's starting to sink. You're looking around and you're wondering, who can, you know, save me from this one? Now, I'm going under now. I can't take it anymore. One more ambush by life like this and I'm done in. Doesn't anybody care what's happening to me? And Jesus, rising up from the stern of the boat, looks out over the wind of the waves. Remember what he said? Peace, be still. He who created the wind and the waves rebuked the wind and the waves, and he who created the power of the storm rebuked the storm, and he who created the sound of the thunder said to the thunder, be quiet, be still, peace. Be still. Well, let's make a list of all the people who could have done that. Ah. Uh, okay, there's Jesus. He, he can still the wind and the waves. All right. And uh, no, he's just a weatherman. Uh, then there's, uh, no, no, he's just an emperor. Then there's, no, he's just a philosopher. I, I, I know, no, he was just a military general. Turns out it's a short list. Jesus Christ is the only one who can still the waves. And Jesus Christ is the only one who can calm the soul. And Jesus Christ is the only one, when you think you're going under, can give you peace as he lifts you up out of the waves. And blessed is the peacemaker who goes and announces to the one in the midst of the storm, there's a sunshine coming, and there's a stillness coming, and soon it will just be a gentle breeze. Soon it will just be the, the soothing rocking of the boat in the wavelets, because Jesus brings calm and peace to the storm. Blessed is the peacemaker who brings Jesus to those who are in the storm. Sadly, there's a conflict, and it might even be a warfare, that comes into the home, comes into the marriage, 
This has got to be one of the great mysteries of life, why two people who love each other so much that they cannot imagine life without one another, who love each other so much that every moment apart is a moment of agony, and every time they come back together, it's a moment of reawakening of the greatest of joys. Two people who love each other that much start to snipe at each other. It's a great mystery as to why he who is so kind, gentlemanly, courteous, becomes silent, critical, complaining. Why she who was so anxious to make sure that she was pleasing and helpful and soothing begins to master the art of nagging complaining. It's a mystery, but it happens. It happens every day, and at some point to varying degrees, it happens in almost every home and every marriage. But sometimes it just keeps getting worse, and it keeps getting worse, and it keeps getting worse, and finally you find yourself saying, I can't take this anymore. Every time I come home, it's just warfare. Well, you know, I go out into rush hour traffic, and I drive in the middle of downtown D.C., right in the middle of rush hour traffic, just to get peace. The calmest moments of my day are the moments when I'm crowded around with traffic or pushed in like a sardine in the subway. Excuse me, metro. Jesus Christ is our peace. For when you start to understand the way Jesus loves, you know, um, well, let's, let's take an example of how Jesus loves. Uh, Jesus loves the church, for example. He loves the people of God. And he loves his church so much that he gave his life for her. Jesus went to the cross for the sake of the church he loved, and he died on the cross that he might present her spotless and blameless before God. And suddenly when you realize that Jesus loved me that way and loves his church that way, and that my marriage is to be a reflection of the love of Jesus, Suddenly the marriage isn't about all those little things I'm complaining about, which, by the way, aren't that big a deal compared to the, the need, the calling to exalt Christ in your home. And so you start to think about Jesus and you start to think about his love and suddenly you realize, you know, what my job in this, this, this marriage is, my job isn't to be a getting and happy and serving me. My job is to reflect the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And suddenly the peace I'm going to find isn't because I've changed my spouse. Try it sometime. <laughs> the peace I get in my marriage is going to come because Jesus Christ comes into my life, changes me. And the wonder of it all is that when Jesus is in my life and I exhibit him to my spouse, my husband, my wife, then the more they see Jesus in me. Peter says they, that unbelieving spouse is won over to Christ without a word being spoken. You want to be a peacemaker? First, let Christ into your marriage. 
you know, make Jesus Christ the number one reason, purpose, guiding, uh, defining uh, reality of your marriage. That'll bring peace to your marriage first. But you want to be a peacemaker, share the love of Jesus. You know, when your friend comes to you and they're, they're just devastated, tell them about the love of Jesus. You'd be a peacemaker. There's a conflict that comes to the human heart. Um, this is more common than we think. Not everybody goes through this, but a lot of people do. It's the darkness of depression. Depression's an overwhelming sadness that just won't leave. Depression is a darkness that comes and just blots out any light at all. Depression is a weight that comes upon you and it settles on your shoulders. You ever, have you ever been to, uh, 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 well, the dentist's office do this? Yeah. It's a good thing, okay? This is going to be good. But you know, when they take the x-rays, what do they do? You know, they, they line up the x-ray thing, and they got the x-ray thing there, and they put this lead vest on you, right? And then they clear out, and you wonder, if you leave, I want to leave. <laughs> but anyway, that's right. So anyway, they, they, they put the lead vest. Is, is anybody else happened to this? You, you've done this? You know, the weight of that vest is just sitting on you, waiting on you? Let me tell you what depression is. Depression is a thousand lead vests waiting up, uh, just weighing down upon you. That's what depression is. And you can't get out from under it, no matter how hard you try. You try whistling a happy tune. You try playing the joy game. You watch Pollyanna a hundred times in a row. Don't watch Wonderful Life. But you watch, <laughs> I mean, that one still gets me. But, uh, you know, and it just won't quit. And out of the depths and out of the agony, you cry out like a Jonah in the belly of the whale. How long is this going to last? How long? Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus carries every burden. Jesus is the one who makes the sorrowing heart glad again. In Jesus Christ, there is joy. And so while you're working through the depression, and you, you have to work through it, but as you're working through it, understand this. Jesus gives you a peace in your heart and a calmness in your heart. And you want to be a peacemaker? Next time somebody shares with you, the, 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 you know, their, their depression or their sadness, or they're just going through some tough things, um, try to avoid giving them an answer. You know, try to avoid telling them how to solve their problems. They, they already know that. They read the same book you did. But tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. And tell them that Jesus knows what it is to go through the valley of the shadow of death. That Jesus knows what it is to cry and to weep with tears in the Garden of Gethsemane. That Jesus knows what it is to have the, the sorrow and the grieving at the loss of a friend at the tomb of Lazarus. Let them understand that Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our every trial and tribulation. And he is the one who has the power to bring joy again. You want to be a peacemaker? Tell them about Jesus.
And there's one other conflict, and this happens to be the greatest conflict of all. It is the war that you are waging against God. Wait a minute. <laughs> Don't you know where you are? <laughs> you know, we're, we're sitting in church. We're sitting in the pews. By the way, it doesn't count because they're padded. But we're sitting in the pews, and we're in church, carrying our Bible, or, you know, we, we've got a Bible app and everything. And what are you talking about, a war against God? Here's what we mean. When we are born into this world, we are tainted by the sin of our original parents. And that taint of sin leads us to a life of rebellion against God in ways that are overt and noticeable and everyone recognizes and in ways that are subtle and so uh, uh, hidden from the world that sometimes we think nobody can tell. But we sin and we rebel against God. We place ourselves in his place. We take an idol and we set it up and we worship and glorify and obey and follow this other God, this other idol. We leave our creator God out of our lives. We are waging war against God. You don't think so? How about the last time you got so angry your mouth just started to spew forth the filth that the world thinks is articulate? You think you're not waging a war against God? What happened the last time somebody said one thing too many and you threatened to rearrange their face? What happened the last time you were a little bit tired, feeling a little bit sorry for yourself? And you let your mind follow pathways of desire and lust. You think you're not waging a war against God? What happened the last time you gave in to yourself and you just started doing what you wanted to do? We're waging a war against God. The Bible calls that sin. And the wages of sin is death. But on the cross of Jesus Christ, the Son of God died in our place. He died for our sin. And when he died, the death we deserve and the, the shame and the guilt that is ours, he took upon himself. And though we were enemies to God, he forgave us in Jesus Christ. And though we were announcing the declaration of war against God, he announced the declaration of peace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ for us. See, Jesus Christ died for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. You want to be a peacemaker, tell people about the love of God in Jesus Christ that has died for their sins. And that by faith in Jesus Christ, trusting him, re repenting of our sins, confessing our sins, coming to Christ, repenting, re uh, confessing that he is Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes, transforms our lives. And then we have peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. You want to be a peacemaker, first embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You want to be a peacemaker, tell someone about Jesus. To be a peacemaker, pray for missionaries, support the missionaries. 
And when the call of God comes, you go as a missionary. You might not have to travel to Africa. You might have to travel across the road. But you want to be a peacemaker, tell people about Jesus Christ. And you will be called sons of God. Who will call you a son of God? You know, who will call you a son of God? The world won't. They don't care about God, much less sons of God. When the Father says you're his child, you're a son of God. See, that's, that's the way all these, these Beatitudes have worked is, is that uh, we look at the front part of it, and if you're a legalist, you think, oh, this is something I do to gain the second part of the Beatitude. In point of fact, it's grace start to finish and finish to start. You know, the finish of it is the gift of God. The start of the Beatitude is the result of what God has done. He makes us his children. We become sons and daughters of God, and that enables us to be peacemakers in the name of Jesus Christ. So that's what it means to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the sons of God. Not by a preacher or a church. You won't, you won't get acknowledged by that on the news. They're not going to tell you you're a great guy, give you a Nobel Prize, or make a movie out of you like they did for Gandhi. But the Father will say, my child belongs to me. And the Spirit of God will move your heart to return to the Father, Abba, Father. So blessed are the peacemakers. What, what's the, uh, the application? I, th I think you've seen some of that. But let me, let me just suggest one other um, level of application as we uh, conclude. When Jesus died on the cross, he said a lot of things. You know, things like, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I thirst. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. To Mary and John. I mean, he said a lot of things. But one of the things Jesus said was this. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, at the moment that Jesus said that, he did not have any enemy greater than me. There was no one who had ever lived, no one living then, no one who's ever lived since or will live that was a greater sinner than I am. And Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive him. He doesn't even know what he's doing. That strikes me as incredible. I just can't quite understand that kind of forgiveness. And because Jesus prayed for me, Father, forgive them, he brought me peace with the Father. That's just incredible. Now, isn't it odd? Isn't it odd that forgiveness is so central to the Christian faith and to the Christian life, so central to the teaching of Jesus, that forgiveness is so important and central to Christ, and yet it is so neglected in the life of the believer? You know, sometimes we act like this forgiveness thing is just a nice idea. We, we live in something called the real world where you can't afford to take that kind of a chance. But you want to be a, a peacemaker, it, it means something like this. When your brother sins against you, forgive him. 
And when he forgives you the second time, forgive him. And when he forgives you the third, when he sins against you the third time, forgive him. And when he sins against you the 393rd time, realize that you lost count and start over again and forgive him and put one mark down on the tablet and forgive and forgive and forgive because that's how God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. And if you want to be a peacemaker just in, in the world around you with the people you know and your family and your home and your marriage, it will astound you how this abundant, extravagant forgiveness will bring, bring peace to your life, to those around you. It's just an incredible thing, but it's true. So blessed are the peacemakers. This was the introduction. You know, it's a great thing to be a peacemaker. Jesus is the one who made peace for us, and they put him on a cross. That's what you get for being a peacemaker. You get to be on the cross. You get to take up your cross daily and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus was the peacemaker, and he was rejected and despised by the world. And so if you're a peacemaker, that's what you get. You get to be despised and rejected by the world. Jesus was the peacemaker, and he died alone, and sometimes you'll be all alone. But the great thing about being a peacemaker is this. You get to be that much more like Jesus. And when you are, he gets that much more glory. Would you bow in prayer with me, please? And Father, thank you for sending Jesus our peace. Thank you for offering him up for our sins that we might be forgiven. And as he has brought peace to us, may our lives bring the same peace with God to those around us. For that person here this morning who is living in conflict, perhaps even in a warfare of the soul, I pray that your peace would come to that heart, that by the work of your Holy Spirit, the heart at war might be set at peace through the blood of Christ. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we conclude our service and as we sing, the call of God's grace goes out. Respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Come quickly as we sing.